my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Hey guys, Willie Geist here with another episode of the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. My thanks as always for clicking and listening along. Got a really good one for you this week, I think, with one of my favorite people and one of the biggest stars in all of music, Darius Rucker. I'm not going to say much here. You know Darius Rucker. You love Darius Rucker. You know that in 1986 at the University of South Carolina, he and three buddies formed a band called Hootie and the Blowfish that toured around kind of southern college towns for a long time until they blew up with their debut album, Cracked Rear View, in 1994. We'll tell you about the pivotal moment that turned them from college band to international sensation. That album went platinum 21 times over. It's in the top 10 best-selling albums of all time in the history of music, up there with Led Zeppelin and the Eagles and the Stones, the Beatles, and everybody else you can think of. In 2008, they take a break, and Darius Rucker says, I'm going to my southern musical roots, and I'm going to sing country. His first song in country goes to number one on the charts. He's had eight number one songs. He's out with a new album titled Carolyn's Boy, Really special to him, as you'll hear, his mother's Carolyn. She died before his massive success. She did sort of grant him the permission to pursue a life in music. She inspired him by the music she listened to in the house and what she sang in the kitchen. She is kind of the reason for it all. A single mother who raised six children in South Carolina working double shifts as a nurse. And this is an album that is a tribute to her, that honors her. And you'll hear... Darius talk about that in a really beautiful way. So sit back and relax. A great conversation with Darius Rucker right now on the Sunday Sit Down Podcast. Darius, it's great to see you, man. Great to see you, Willie. Always is. We've just completely broken down the SEC this football season. Yes, we did. I think this will we'll air that part of the SEC network. <laughs> we might bore the viewers of the Today <laughs> Show. Because <laughs> it wasn't really the SEC we broke down. We went up Vanderbilt in South That's Carolina. True. <laughs> Which is even worse. Now, Alabama and Georgia. Exactly. Where's the clicker? i got to get this off. Um, it's great to see you in this venue, which yeah. I know you've played, and, and we'll talk about that some more, and here with some new music that yeah. you've been out on the road all summer playing. What's the response been like to the, the new album? Oh, it's been great. I mean, we've been playing four, about four new songs off the record, and people are loving it. And I, as, as, as a musician, especially God, if somebody puts records out like I do, you just want that. You want I want songs I can play live, songs that are going to resonate with people because the live shows are still why I do it and so it's been it's been a great summer and it's been a minute since you've put out a solo album six years I think something yeah. like that yeah. what was it about this moment where you said alright I'm ready it's time to say something again it, it was time you know I put out my last record then we did Hootie for that, that right. year and a half uh, and we did a record and then went out on tour and stuff and I think when I came back from that I just wanted to go play I just wanted to go play country music because I wasn't really thinking about making a record and then finally it was just like man I'm ready to to write some songs and so we, we you know started to make Carolyn's Boy so Carolyn's Boy we gotta talk about the title that is your mother of yes. course your late mother um, why did you dedicate this album to her I mean it was funny I was uh, 
writing the song, and we, we started the recording, and I was having a bad day, you know, all those bad mental health days. I just wasn't doing well. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, at the end of the day, I'm just my mom's boy. And right there is how I would name the record Carol's Boy, because really that's, in my heart, that's who I am. I'm just my mom's kid. And what does that mean to you, to be Carolyn's boy? Uh, you know, uh, somebody who, she taught us to be nice, she taught us to care, she taught us to give back, she taught us to always, always be the best person you can be. And I, I really hope that, you know, she's looking down from heaven and I'm, I'm that man she wanted me to be. So there were six of you, right? Yeah. Six kids. Six kids. Single mom mm-hmm. who was a nurse. Nurse. Working double shifts in Absolutely. Charleston. What was that household like? And now that you've grown up and you're a parent yourself, yeah. how much more respect even do you have for what your mom was able to do? Oh, absolutely. Being a parent, you really get it. You, you get it. And, you know, for me, we, we were lucky. We had a village. You know, we, we, we had our house, but everybody, all of our neighbors were our family. You know, I, I remember stuff like, you know, getting in school, getting in trouble in school, and my mom was at work, and there's a knock on the door, and it's my, my best friend's dad. Who basically took me out in the backyard and let me know that, that we don't do that. But that that was how I grew up, and so it was like it, I, my, my my brothers and sisters were all still real close and everything. And my mom just taught us family, family's everything, and and that's something I took on to with my kids and, and you know with their lives. You know, family's the most important thing. And what influence did your mom have on the music? I know you grew up in the church, listening to music like so many good yeah. Southern young boys and girls Absolutely. did. That's where it starts, and then you graduate to Al Green that's playing in yeah. the house. Was your mom a big part of your musical influence? She was the biggest part. She was a huge part because she always there was always music playing. There was never music not playing in the house, whether it was the radio or records or whatever. And we had one of those big high fives, you know, yeah. that had all the records inside, and and I would just listen to records and. She was great because she never let anybody tell me what I could listen to. Like my cousins would come over and I'd be listening to a rock and roll on the radio or something, or a country on the radio, and and they'd come and ask me, you know, why are you listen to that white boy music? And she would just lit into that. She would lit light into them and let them know you let him listen to what he wants to listen to. And and it was great. She, I, I always say, I, I don't think I could have could have sang the songs I sang and made the music I made if my mom wasn't always a champion and protecting me from people telling me I couldn't. So what were the other records in that high five? Oh, I know you talk a lot about Al Green. Gladys Knight, Gladys Knight, the Pips. Um, you know Wilson Pickett. Mm. Uh, there was a Charlie Pride record in there. And I remember one day asking my mom why we had a Charlie Pride record, and she said, "Because he's a black." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she ever put it on. I don't think she heard it. I was the only one playing it. But she you just know, bought it. She bought it because yeah. you know, and that was that was great. And one moment that I'll never forget, she was in the kitchen. Uh, making dinner and I found these two Beatles 45s and the, it was the first two 45s they had ever put out and they were just sitting in there and I walked and I said mom when did you buy this she said well everybody bought those when they came out you know it was like it was like I want to hold your hand and she loves you I think and I and I just started freaking out that was started my love of the Beatles but like I always say she she influenced all of the music so she, I mean she had good musical taste oh, yeah. I mean really good musical taste oh great musical taste because she was such a singer she was a light years better than I am as a singer and she was I would go sit in the living room our living room connected to our kitchen and I would sit in the living room and sit, just listen to her singing because she was so amazing yeah, so as that journey went along for you Darius and you unfortunately she didn't get to see you become the massive international star that you've become 
But she saw you on your way. Oh, yeah. Saw you off to college, knew you were playing those kind of gigs. Yep. What kind of encouragement did she give you along the way? She never, when I told her I was in the band and everything, she always encouraging. I'll never forget the day after my junior year that I was going to tell her I was going to quit college. And I thought she was going to destroy me. I thought, you know, that was not going to be an option. And she looked at me and she said, if that's what you want to do, if this music thing is what you're going to do, do it. And that was a great day for me because I realized I had her behind me no matter what. I had, you know, I didn't think I had a backup plan until I, she said that. And I was like, well, I guess she's my backup plan. What a gift, yeah. right? To give you that permission Absolutely. to go. It was have you huge. Taking that parenting tip on your own, too. I have, but <laughs> I have, but it's not as easy as she made it look. No, it's not. Oh, it's not as easy yeah. as she made it look. Yeah, although the, yeah, yeah. I think some people follow in your footsteps, maybe with music as well. So when you when you sit down to write this new album, Carolyn's Boy, how do you construct an album? I'm, I'm always curious when someone like you says, okay, I'm ready to say something. It's time again. What do you, how do you start, basically? Really, you just start writing. Uh, for me, I got so many friends in Nashville that are amazing writers that I write with. And you start calling your buddies. And when I started writing it, it was COVID. You know, and that when the Zoom writing and all that stuff ha started happening, and it was just a different animal. But it was still we were still coming up with these great songs, and so I was cool with it. And it was when I started, it was just like, all right, I'm ready to make a record. And the best part of the, I, I've been lucky, but my, my label never has never pressured me about anything. You know, it's whenever you're ready, man, we're ready. Hmm. And they worked their butt off when I put it out and stuff. And it's just been a fun, fun journey in country music, and making this record was awesome. Any songs that feel special, particularly special to you? A lot of them. Uh, Sarah, mm. I wrote that with Ed Sheeran, and, and that, I, that's a special song. I think a uh, song that's on the record that I can't stop listening to is a song called "Never Been Over," that I wrote with uh, Lee Miller and, and John Osborne from the Osborne yeah. from the Osborne Brothers. Yeah. And I love to tell the story because John's not the singer. John's the long hair guitar player, and, and he sang the demo, and it was so good. That I tell him every time. Every time he listens, I say, "Every time I'm just trying to be you." <laughs> I, was, I try to copy him when I sing that song because it was so good. But you ever say, "Hey, maybe you should have cut this one." <laughs> no, that, he. I was cutting that one. He had no, he had no choice. I was cutting that one. <laughs> and the response on stage that you've been getting are there ones where you come out and you go, "Okay, people are really connecting with oh, the yeah. song." Oh yeah, amazing! Like yeah. We, we were doing this one song for a call, "Have a Good Time," mm, and yeah. as soon as I get to the chorus, everybody is like, "Yeah." You could, it's the first time they're hearing it. They're this, by the second chorus, they're singing it. By the third chorus, they're loving it. And, and that's what you want as a songwriter. You want people to, to get it, and then you get them to get it that quick, even better. When you write a song with, say, Ed Sheeran, how does that work? Is that a text? Hey, Ed, I'm putting together an album. You want to jump on? Yeah, you know, it was one of those things where I was, I, I, we've been trying to write for years, and finally I was like, I'm writing with you for this record. And, and it was funny because I, I jumped in a plane and just flew to England. And spent the day with Ed, and it was a great day. We had so much fun, and we just wrote. We wrote like five or six songs that day. Wow! And we just wrote and wrote and wrote, and then we went to the pub and had a blast. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a pretty good day trip. That was a good day. So you have some more in the arsenal potentially. Yeah, the, we put one on the last two D record, and I got some more. Uh, I got some more stuff that we're that that I have in, in the pot that I'm going to use for something. I'm sure I love. He's such a great songwriter. He's crazy great. All right, we're going to keep our eyes out for oh, that. Yeah, you should. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. Stick around to hear more from Darius Rucker right after the break. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. 
He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Welcome back. Now more of my conversation with Darius Rucker. We're talking about your mom giving you the blessing to go make music when you went to South Carolina. So you go to Columbia from Charleston, where you grew up. When you think about those early years of Hootie and the Blowfish, it's a lot of vans, right? It's a lot. Oh, yeah. Fraternities. A lot of fraternity parties. We know that scene. It's that whole, that Southern college scene. Is that a time you look back with fondness or is that sort of, man, that was a tough grind back then? Oh, people ask me all the time, uh... Do I miss when Hootie was huge? We were in 94, 95. We were one of the biggest bands in the world. And I was like, no. I miss 91, mm. 98, 90, 89, when we were, we'd go in a club the first time and it'd be 10 people there. And then the fifth time we were there, there's a line outside the door. You know, those, those are the days I miss. And I think the main reason I miss those days is because we were inseparable. It was the four of us against the world. Yeah. And we knew it. And we lived it every day. And I miss those times a lot. And was the goal at that point, Darius, let's just be a fun college band, let's have a good time together, we're buddies at USC, let's tour around, see what happens, or was it, we've got something here, let's try to build, I mean, you sold tons of merch, like, you were a thing in the South before you were a thing around the world. Was the goal to keep climbing eventually, maybe to where you got? I think at first, it was just, let's just have some fun, you know, meet some girls, (laughs) and have a good time, and then, I guess... Two years in, we were sitting on Mark's porch on, on the, in Columbia, the three of us, and our drummer had just left. And we had a big fight, a big arg- big discussion that day. And that day it became, we're doing this until until we make it. Uh, you know, until, until we're going to do whatever we take, it takes to make it. And that's, what we, that, that's, when, that's when I told mom I was quitting. Mm-hmm. And that was when it was, Hootie was, we, we, it, it became an obsession. We were going to make it. We were going to make it. It was simple as that. So you cut that EP, Coochie Pop? Coochie Pop. So yeah. that was a few songs. I think it had Hold My Hand on it. Hold My Hand's yeah. on that. Uh, Let Her Cry's on that. Yes, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So that's this is pre-cracked. Yep. Um, so but you get that album out there. You get a record deal, right, in 93. What did that feel like to you? Okay, this is a big step. We're on our way here. I mean, you never could have foreseen what was going to happen no. with that album, of course. I'll be honest, you know, when we got we got that record deal because we sold so many of Coochie Pop just out of the back of the van and out of the Mama Pop record stores. And we get a record deal, and at the time, grunge was king. I mean, grunge yeah. was king. It was dominating the radio, it was pop radio, rock radio, it was all grunge. And we were this little pop rock band from South Carolina, so we didn't know what was going to happen. And even, there's there's a, there's a guy at our label, and I never say his name, this guy was a guy in Atlanta, he was a vice president. And today he tells people that he signed us. He does. But he went in and he said to the uh, president of the label that if they put correct, if Atlantic put correct review out, they were going to be the laughing stock of music, was what was said. Wow. Was what was said that, because it wasn't, it wasn't grunge, it was just this pop rock band. And they, they, not a lot of people at the label wanted to put it out. And uh, they did. And the people that loved it worked it. And then Letterman happened. So that's a big moment, the Letterman. It was sort of in the days when an appearance like that could change, literally, I think. It changed our lives. Overnight. Overnight. Right? So you do it on a Friday, I think? We did it on a Friday. Yeah, we did it on a Friday. He heard us on Tuesday. Had us on on Friday. And 
That that Friday morning, there was maybe five stations in the country playing it, and all in the South, you know, Columbia yeah. and Charleston and Atlanta. And that Monday, we were the most added, and after that, it just went crazy. Yeah, one one appearance on Lemon. You've told Dave that story over the years. He, well, he's he knows. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had a great experience with Dave. Uh, we were at a at a horse race or something, and I saw him. And you know, Dave's really private, so I, I didn't uh, you know I didn't want to go bother him. And I'm sitting there watching, and he all of a sudden I look up and he's standing over me, and we had a great embrace and talk. But I, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking to you mm. if it wasn't for the Dave Letterman show. It's really that simple. I mean, he changed our lives. And that album, I had to look it up again because it blew my mind. 21 million copies, 21 times platinum. Yeah. And I was looking at the list of the best-selling albums of all time, and it's in the top ten. I mean, it's yeah. Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and all the Eagles and everything we Michael know. Michael Jackson. Michael yeah. Jackson. Yeah. Does that still blow your mind? Blows my mind. Yeah. Blows my mind. I, I was... I was, somebody was talking about something the other day, they showed me something, and we were like the eighth best-selling record of all time. Yeah. And blows your mind. That, that's like, like, wow. I mean, up there with all those people that we vitalize and think are great, and all those records that we think are great. And to be in that mix is just, that's mind-blowing. Do you remember a time you walked down on a stage and the crowd suddenly was big and the crowd suddenly was singing all the songs back to you yeah Is that, were there, was there a moment or maybe a couple of moments like I that bet the, there was a moment there was a moment where uh, we were playing this, this uh, uh, we were playing a park in Columbia a charity gig we were playing in 90 at, after right after Letterman and walking out and seeing you know 20, 30,000 people and freak out and then two weeks later we play we play East, East Lansing, Michigan I'll never forget this play East Lansing, Michigan, and play this big outdoor place that they can sell as many tickets as they want. And we get on stage, and there's seventy-seven thousand people. Come on! It was. I mean, we, you know, we get out of our, we get out of our bus, and we get there, and they were like, "There's a lot of people." I was like, "Really? How many?" Somebody said seventy. I was like, "Yeah, right." And we walk on stage, and you can't not see people. It's seventy-seven thousand people there. That was when we really started getting old. This is great. So is that after the show? You're back. Yeah, it was after the Whoa! But I mean, you get backstage from that show and go, something's changing. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, we. I, I think we were like so superstitious. We didn't want to jinx it, so we didn't really talk about it. But you go, you that was crazy. <laughs> you know, because you know we because two months before we were playing to 200 people at a club in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Right. You know, right. now we're playing to 77,000 people. Crazy. So, to what do you attribute 21 million albums? The songs are great fun to sing along with it's good music you start there but why did it become some other thing than just a successful album I think I, I think the only thing we can attribute it to is the songs and the production I mean the songs are great songs because it was one of those things where you know before streaming we were at you know 15 or 16 or whatever and you, you know you're in the top 15 selling records all of a sudden that's great but then streaming happens and it's a whole new thing yeah. A whole new thing, and people still want the record. And, and it's just one of those things where, for us, I, I like to think it's just the songs we wrote. We had lighting in the bottle. We wrote some great songs yeah. that people still resonate with, and that that's what you want to do. How did you deal with the personal side of it? Which is, you go from those gigs of 200 people in Columbia, South Carolina, to now everyone in the country knows who you are, yeah. and now people all over the world know who you are. How did you manage that part of it? the celebrity side of it? Which no one's ready for it to happen that no, quickly. No, gonna sell. We weren't ready for it, but, but we were lucky that we had each other, and we were so close at that point. Like we would get on the road, and you know, come home off the road at noon, 
pull into your house and by one o'clock we're calling each other. When are we going out? What time are we going out? Where are we going to meet up? And we were always together. And and we never let each other get a big head or, let, or take it too serious. You know, it was always, anytime you try to do that, there was somebody, always somebody to cut you down. You know, we couldn't even wear black t-shirts back then without somebody letting you know, who, what are you, a Bono? Or you, who are you, you any better now? <laughs> so it was like, we had each other and that's how we dealt with it. Just staying insulated in our little group and realizing that the only thing we saw in this, shows are getting bigger. The show's getting bigger and somebody recognized me in the airport. That, that's all we saw. It was still, we were still just the four of us. It's amazing, too. You go from that. My kids, who are 14 and 16, know you as yeah. country artist Darius Rucker. And I go, hold on. There's this other thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, those songs are great. But there's a whole generation that knows you as a country artist because of the turn you took around 08, yeah. I, guess, I guess it yeah. was. Um, what brought you to country music, other than the fact that you grew up with it, as you just said, with your mm. mom, and it was a familiar sound that you liked? Yeah. I was like, one of the one of the funniest things I've ever seen is I, I finished a show and and this kid says, you know, that show was great, but I, I didn't know he was such a big Hootie and the Blowfish fan. <laughs> and somebody wrote him back, well, you know he's the lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish, right? The kid freaked out, but... Uh, that's a lot of Hootie covers. I, I know, that's what he was like, God, he likes Hootie and the Blowfish. But for me, I always liked country music, and in 1989, uh, this record came out by this guy, Radney Foster. And I'll never forget it. I was working records Monday through Wednesday, and then going on the road with the band on the weekends. And this record comes out, and I put it on, and it got into the third song, and I said out loud to my personal, I was like, I want to do that. I was like, I, I've never heard it. I've never, no one's ever made me want to sing it more than this guy. I want to sing country music. And I went back to the band, I was like, yeah, we should be a country band. Nah, we're going to play rock and roll, we're going to be R.E.M., you know, we're going to do that. Yeah. We did that. It was great, but I, I would kept, I always said, someday I want to make a country record. Someday I'm making a country record. Someday I'm making a country record. And that day finally came. Did you feel skepticism when you made that turn from radio stations, fans, everybody going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Understatement. What are we doing here? Understatement. I got lucky and got a record deal. Yeah, it's, it's so funny, the uh, the guy who gave me a record deal, Mike Dungan, said to my manager, Doc, he's like, you know, I never got that hootie thing, but I always thought that kid was a country singer. <laughs> and he gave, me a, he gave me a record deal, and I'm out visiting radio station stuff, and three radio station guys said this to me, to my face, I don't think my audience will ever accept a black country singer. Mm. And that was, I mean, the first time I heard it was shocking, because, you know, I knew they probably kind of felt that way, but you actually said it to me, you know? And, and that was more motivation for me. That was more, okay, how hard, how, what do you want me to do? How hard do I have to work? Tell me what I gotta do to make this work. And we were lucky. We had a great song that was undeniably country and people resonated with. And I, you know, the people that didn't realize it with my voice were like, ah, oh, you know, I like that voice and, and, and they bought it. But there was a lot of skepticism. A lot of people telling me it was never gonna happen. And that song went to number one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It did, it did pretty well. It did all right. Yeah, right out of the box. It did all right. It, it's funny because uh, Mike tells the story of uh, the day he decided to sign me, he called the 13 people in Nashville he thought were the tastemakers, you know, record label presidents, producers, people who were really making stuff happen. And he told them he was signing me. And he said 12 of them told him it will never work. Mm. And he said eight of them told me you will be the laughing stock of music if you do that. Yeah. I feel pretty good to be sitting here right now. Yes, it does. <laughs> Love you, Mike. <laughs> All it takes is one guy, uh, right? Exactly. All it takes one, is one. One guy to believe in you. You just happen to be the president of the label. That yeah. helps, buddy. That, yeah. helps. That, yeah, helps. that helps. It is, even sitting here, it's shocking to hear that someone would say the things they said to your face, sure. that a black artist can't make it in country music. Did you carry that with you when you went in? Did you feel any weight of, like, 
I'm this breakthrough artist, I'm breaking barriers and all those things, or was it just like write the, good songs? The one thing I wanted to do was write good songs. I was like, let's make a great record, write good songs, all the other stuff comes with it. But once I made it, I wanted to see other people make it. I wanted to see what I, what me proving that stereotype wrong would do for other folks. And I loved it. I saw Kane came around and you know, Mickey and everybody, you know, Chapel Heart now and all these bands that are, you know, now instead of throwing away a CD with a blackface on it, I think everybody's looking for an African-American artist that's great, that I can get on the radio, that can be part of my stable, to be part of what we do at our label. And, you know, I, I love being, you know, one of the catalysts for that. That's pretty cool. And what a cool line to draw the Charlie Pride records on in your house in Charleston with your mom and you follow in the footsteps of his legacy. Absolutely. I mean, he became a good friend and just... To, to be able to take what he'd done and take it a little further. And now we got Kane playing stadiums, taking it even further. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful scene. It's, 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 it's an attest, and it's, it's a, a test to America. We always think we're gonna, hatred and all this stuff's gonna keep, but when, and at the bottom line, people just want great music. Mm. That's all they want is great music, a great song. I don't care what you look like, what you do. I want a great song, and you know, that's what we try to get. You keep giving it to them, yeah. Stick around for more of my conversation with Darius Rucker right after a quick break. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Welcome back now to the rest of my conversation with Darius Rucker. Got to ask you about Wagon Wheel. Yes. I was at City Field watching a Mets game on Sunday, and in like the fourth inning, they put up three songs. What do you want to hear in the eighth inning stretch? It was Wagon Wheel and a couple of other ones. Come the eighth inning, it was like 89% Wagon Wheel. Five, two percent, whatever it was. People loved that song. Yeah. How big a deal was that for you, that song, as a, even people didn't follow necessarily your country career. But yeah. They go, oh, I love that song. And it's just a classic. It was such a great move. I mean, that was one of those, like, I, I recorded that song so organically. Like, I, I, I was breaking my record. I went to see my daughter's talent show and the, the faculty band's playing Wagon Wheel. Oh, really? Yeah, and I had heard it before, but the, the, the Old Crow version is such a bluegrass song, I never even thought about it as a country song. And these, this, this band's playing it, like four teachers, two janitors. They're just a little band's playing it. And I'm, I'll never get sitting there and going, wow, I've never heard it like that. And I texted my producer. I said, Frank, remember Wagon Wheel? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I don't know if we want to cut that. I was like, man, Frank, I think we should cut it. We're cutting it. Let's cut it. And then we cut it and we put Lady A on it. Yeah. And I thought it was a good song. And then when Lady A got on it, I said, I said this is a monster. And I, another funny thing, we're, we put the first single out and then we're talking about the second single and we're in a meeting and two people stand up and go, we're not putting Wagon Wheel out. We're not putting it out. And they lost and now, you know, what, 12, 13 million copies yeah. later, you know, the song, the song is the third biggest selling record in country music history. History, yeah. And that's crazy. At some point, these people might just start to trust your uh, Yeah, some of them are. Maybe Darius has this figured out. Let's leave it there. <laughs> so do you, you've, I mean, what a career you've had, what a life you've had. Are there other things out there that you want to do? I know you're not going to try, you know, 
punk next. You're not going to change your genres, but is there stuff still on the horizon for you that absolutely you, that you still want to do musically, professionally? Absolutely. One of the, one of the you know one of the big things I want to do is you know I want to do a big band thing. You know, I, I want to go to Vegas and do a residency with it. You know, get brand from Marcellus and go and do something really cool, something that's different. Not, you know, don't go out and try to sing like Sinatra. Let's go out and do a show. And that's just something that's building in me and, and Brandon and I are talking about it and more and more I want to do it. It's it just, because I love that music too. Yeah. I mean, Sinatra's the man, uh, uh, the man. And I love that stuff. And that's something else I want to do. That's, you know, it's something down the road, but there's so much more I want to do. And and when, when there's no more I want to do, that's when I think I'll go home and just sit down and play golf and laugh. <laughs> and you've already played a lot of golf. I do play a lot of golf. I don't know how much, I don't know how I'm going to play more. Do you want to confess to the number you told me earlier? I think I'm going to play 300 rounds this year. 300 rounds. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I know that's when crazy. Time to write music and play shows. Well, golf is only. I played first tee time out. That's like eight, no. Nobody wants to write before noon. <laughs> Morning is for golf. Exactly. Everything else after. Everything else after. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about. Your, your rise and your career and everything you've done and given the title of your album what Carolyn, your mother would think, as I said, she sadly passed away before the rocket ship yeah. really took off. Do you think about what she must be thinking somewhere? All the time. All the time. Uh, I, I think I think about two things. Which, uh, I hope she's in heaven that looking down, being proud of me and second of all, I always go, if she was alive, her house would be so much bigger than mine. <laughs> She would have earned that. <laughs> She'd earn that out. Her car would be nicer than mine. <laughs> She'd be awesome. Whatever you want. Whatever, yeah. Hey, whatever you want, Mom. You could have it for sure. It, I mean, she, to, to have listened to all that music with you, to have stilled it in you, and then to see what you've done with it, I just can't imagine what she's thinking somewhere. And that's really what it is. I mean, music was our life. She instilled all of that. My love for music came from her. And, and all I've wanted to do since I was four mm. was play music. And I'm 57 now. I've been doing it for 30 years on the big stage. It's just crazy. Crazy. I know she's proud of you. Uh, I like to think she is. Before I let you go, I need you to commit to a win total for the South Carolina Gamecocks this year. Nine or more. Nine or more? Gamecocks will win nine or more this year. So, that's is that with the bowl game? We're going to throw the ass. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to help you out a little there. We might win the national championship this year. It could and, happen. And win a Heisman. Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler's going to Heisman. We're winning the national championship. You heard it here. Willie. And, and, and now you know, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be undefeated. Vanderbilt's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to spoil that exactly. season. <laughs> well, we'll see you some. I don't know where we play, but we'll see you in either in Columbia or Yep, Nashville and if you're somewhere. coming, let me know. We'll, we'll go hang out. Likewise. For sure. Great to talk Always to you. Always great talking to you, Thanks man. so much. Always. I love talking Appreciate to you, Willie. So much fun. My big thanks again to Darius for a great conversation. You can pick up his album, Carolyn's Boy, wherever you get your music. And my thanks to all of you for listening again this week. If you want to hear more of our conversations every week, be sure to click follow so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to tune in to Sunday Today every weekend on NBC. I'm Willie Geist. We'll see you right back here next week on the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up 
He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project UP, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 